What's happening in the canine industry? For all the latest news, views and expert opinions, stay right here for the canine paradigm. You'll hear from industry leaders, experts, doyens of the industry, learned colleagues, movers and shakers, and the odd Randy guest. Get the latest insights and expert advice from both here and abroad from the people in the know. Now, here are your hosts, Glenn Cook and Pat Stewart. And I'm Lofty Fulton, and I'm out of here. Hey, Glenn. Mm. I reckon we have a bit of a showdown, me and you. Really? Yeah. Okay. Really find out who's a better trainer. Ooh, now you've fucking thrown the cat amongst the pigeons, haven't you? Yeah. I reckon we get puppies, mm. brothers or something like that, okay. and have a bit of a competition, see who can raise it the best. Okay. So now that you've thrown the gauntlet out there, where are you thinking that we're going to get these magnificent specimens from? I want to get duchies right. or shepherds. Yep. So if we're going to get them, the only place in the world that anybody should be looking to get mm. a German Shepherd or a Dutch Shepherd from is House Hamburg Shepherds in Germany. Oh, good call. Yeah. Okay. Okay. I like this. All right. So now that we've got the dogs, yeah. what's the next part of the evolution? Well, the good news is mm-hmm. they they can send those Shepherds anywhere in the world. Yep. So what about we get one sent here to Australia? Right. You'll train that one. Okay. And I'll get one sent to myself in North America. Mm-hmm. But we're going to need training equipment to train those dogs. Right. So I guess that I have to go and talk to the bullfed. Yeah. So your gear, all your dog training needs, Mm -hmm. because we'll start fresh. We'll get all new everything. Everything. All your dog training needs will be met by Ironswick Dog Quip. Oh, the bullfed himself. Yeah. Okay. So I can get myself some mills, some great leads, some collars. All that Training stuff. devices, treats, balls, whatever I need. Yeah, you'll be yep. able to get that from Ironswick because yep. you're going to be here in Australia. Well, that means that you have to go up north, further north yep. in, in North America yep. and go and see old mate Mach Le Point. Yep, and get everything from Canine everything. Dynamics. Oh, Canine Dynamics. Yep. yep. I'll get the leashes I need, the tugs I need, everything. I think I can even get bite suits. Everything. Yeah, I can get that from Canine Dynamics yep. from in North America. Mm-hmm. There is one... Part of this that is somewhat unfair. Well, you get to hang out with Melanie Benway. Yeah. So I'm actually going to get my dog. Tra- I'm not going to do any of the training. Yep. <laughs> I'm going <laughs> to get a play and train mm-hmm. done where Mel's actually just going to come to my house because I'm going to take that dog to Richmond, Virginia. Yep. Ashland, Virginia Ashland. as well. Ashland, Ashland Virginia. Virginia. Yep. So everything both areas. Yeah. Uh, I can be either one of those mm. and I'm just going to go do something else nine to five and she'll come into my home Train that dog. Well, you're sipping cafe just, lattes. Just, just gallivanting yeah. all over gallivanting. The <laughs> <laughs> Welcome back to the Canine Paradigm. I'm your host, Pat Stewart. I'm joined by my co-host, Glenn Cook. And joining us today... Is everybody's favourite guest? It's Bertie O'Sheedy. Hello, everybody. How Not just you? our guest. We've the established. Other co-host. Yeah, she's the third wheel of the canine paradigm. She's like the intermittent host. We've got everybody on a intermittent reinforcement schedule of Bertie. Yes, your family to me. So whatever. <laughs> <laughs> well, it's nice to be here. Thank you so much for having me. Pleasure. Let's get straight into it. The world's falling apart. Everybody's yeah. at everybody's throats. So we've got our resident psychologist on to calm everyone down. Is this the episode where we try and help everybody not be to each other? No, 
I would never ever dare to say that <laughs> ever. I don't know where you got that idea from. No, no. Hey, before we kick this episode off, I put a meme up the other day, which <laughs> has given me endless laughter. Of the guy that sits down and he goes, can you please spell Mark with a C? Yeah. And the guy goes, Kark. And yeah. he goes, you It's the Starbucks one. Yeah. Do you know that's a true story? <laughs> it's a true story. Like a customer went into Starbucks. That's why it's got the Starbucks theme on it. A customer went into Starbucks and the barista behind the counter said, what's your name, please? And he said, it's Mark, but with a C. When he called him out, when he had his coffee ready, he called out Kark. <laughs> So Surely now, it was a joke. Uh, Let's be analytical about this. Mm. If you have to spell, like, <laughs> it's not like they're going to write your name on the coffee and it's going to be like your proof of ID mm. for anything and it has to align yeah, with the driver's Yeah, but they do that. That's license. what they do. It. They yeah. call out your name. Yeah, they just call it out. So mm. it doesn't matter how you spell it because they just call it out, right? Yeah. So do you think it's possible that <laughs> the dude who was writing it was like, this dickhead thinks it matters how it's spelled, thinks I give a shit that his name ends with a C and not a K. I'm going to put that C at the front just to make him Look, feel like an idiot. Absolute possibility. And yes, you're right. He was a little snowflake that couldn't have just said it's Mark. Yeah. Like Mark Lapointe. So like a lot of the time now. It was now Cuck Lapointe. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but like, you know, a lot of the time now when I'm wearing a mask and people say, oh, what's the name for the order? And I say Pat, I yeah. see them right on Matt. And I'm like, oh, well, I'll just listen out for when they say Matt. Yeah. <laughs> like, I don't really you give still a get shit. to have takeaway coffee. Yeah. Here in my uh, area, the coffee shops are open. You can you can order one. You just can't drink it there. In fact, my favourite place got shut down. Poor old Abe. He, I know. <laughs> he wasn't a newspaper. <laughs> yeah. Poor old Abe. He's just not very good at following rules. No, he's he has a beautiful logo though. So I have to say, I think it is still weird times. I'm glad to be here. And I just realised it's weird to talk with people in a group conversation online. Imagine having this happen to us pre-Zoom and everything oh, yeah, like that. Like crazy. how it would have... The isolation people feel now, I mean, imagine that without the technology where we could actually sit down, all our meetings now, like we have a meeting called HOC, which is Heads of Kennel, mm -hmm. and all of the managers and me, the marketing manager, like all the managers, we all come online and we all have a weekly chat. How are you going? What are we doing? What's happening this week? When things open up, how do we prepare? We just go through everything. We can all see each other and we can wave to each other and there's fellowship there amongst our management team that we can still have. Like normal HOC meetings are generally either everyone comes here or we all go to a different location and we have a group meeting which goes for a full day where we discuss all the principles that happen in pet resorts. I agree with you. Like Zoom is so important to me these days. This is how I see my clients. This is how I'm... I'm studying a lot at the moment, like I'm studying about 15 or 20 hours a week at the moment. So it's an interactive course, one of the best courses I've ever done. The ICP conference was done online through Zoom. So, so I, it's amazing what it does, but there is this element to me where I'm like, man, I just want to have a pizza and a drink with my friends. Like, mm. And this will be part of the topic because we haven't announced the topic yet. Mm. Let's do it. The topic is medicine and remedies for the war on kindness, a.k.a. it's up to you, yes, you listener, to make the world a better place because mm. that's where it starts. Mm -hmm. Okay. How do people do that? Well, it's easier than we thought it would be. Like I think that's where science was really in the, I'm not sure if it was 80s or 90s, but I think science 
had some evidence there and I think we really bought into that empathy is an innate quality but actually empathy these days is a skill so everyone can be empathic and I'm going to talk about this and I just want to be really clear and upfront about it that 80 90 percent I'm saying today is just out of a book literally not even paraphrased like literally parts of it are really nearly one-on-one and the book is The War for Kindness by Jamil Saki and I can't recommend this book enough. Like Jamil Zaki, J-A-M-I-L-Z-A-K-I. Yes, and the book is called The War for Kindness, and it's hands down. I just saved you a thousand emails. Thank you. <laughs> thank you. Thank you, thank you, thank you. It's hands down one of the biggest streets of my life. Really? Yes. The reason why it's a... Jamil Zaki is a talented scientist, but he brings this beautiful quality of putting science into a readable form that you're not bored. Mm-hmm. And it's practical, it's applicable, and it's hands down, I think, I don't know how you feel as the listener, but I feel that the world could step up in being a bit of a better place. Like I feel like we could, you know, kind of make the world a bit brighter, lovelier, mm-hmm. kinder. And I feel that he gives us the tools for it. Like he's really into it, how to support people who are burned out, people who have really difficult roles in their professions, like, you know, vets, nurses, ICU nurses, carers, dog trainers, dog owners. So highly recommend this book. And if you feel like you don't know what your purpose in life is, start here. Because no matter what job you have, this would be part of it. And I tell you a little bit about the evolutionary purpose of empathy and kindness in our lives because we could argue that if humankind doesn't understand how to stay empathic and kind, we maybe have missed the boat because we're quite insignificant as humans. But empathy and kindness makes us pretty extraordinary, really. No, I really, I absolutely agree with you 100% that we need to be doing a better job on how we're communicating and talking to each other, especially right now. I think that there's far more divisiveness that is happening that I've ever seen in my lifetime before. Now, admittedly, I've never lived through a world war. You know, like I've spoken to my grandparents about that. My grandfather, he was a sergeant in the Air Force and he was deployed overseas. And he told me about the prejudices that they were taught and that they faced. But he also told me that when he got to some of these places, that the friendships he made with the people in the country that he was supposed to be fighting and how it wasn't what they were told it was supposed to be, that there were people over there who were loving and kind and generous and they became friends and like family to him and so forth. So it's from chaos, there has to be some sort of collaboration, a better collaboration. And I feel that once we're on the other side, well, I hope, I'm not going to say I feel, I hope that once we're on the other side of this, what's going on right now, that there will be a bit more uniformity, that people will come together again. Because right now it feels wicked to be together. Pat and I were talking about this term. I think it's quite a apt phrasing for it, but it does feel kind of nefarious to meet together or to get together or to collaborate right now because we're being told don't do that. You know that the world goes through a shitty time when you're looking forward to your very expensive and unpleasant root canal and that you're Appointment with the dentist becomes the reason to leave the house and dress up. And I understand the reason behind it all, but it's just putting thinking things into perspective because despite my dentist being beautiful, I don't like root canals. No <laughs> this is a negative comment. I was listening to this on the news the other day where Tony Abbott, who was formerly one of our prime ministers in Australia, he got caught not wearing a mask in public and had to pay a fine. 
And he said this comment, which I really found quite confronting and it made me angry, where he said, when did we become a nation of dobbers? And I thought, well, mate, your own fucking government is encouraging people and putting ads out to dob on people, to report people for not doing the right thing. So people are now encouraged through online media and so forth. It's out there. Like if you see people committing crimes, report them to the police. And I thought, Tony, how could you say that, mate? Yeah, you're pissed off you got caught without a mask in public and so forth. But we're being encouraged to tell tattletales on people, like to report people. And, you know, that's the kind of thing that drives me insane. You're touching on a really deep topic and I'm going to come back to your point there because Jamil, can I call him just Jamil? Sorry, Dr. Saki or Professor Saki, but I'm going to call you Jamil because we're, I feel we're, like- We're best friends. We, I like that I, name, Jamil. Yeah, mm. I feel like we've spent hours together because I've read your book really thoroughly and I tag you in every time I post a book because it's so beautiful and I hope I make you lots of sales, so lots of blessings to you. But stay with us if you want to hear about how empathy and kindness is related to burnout, how you can change that while staying kind, how you can manage that. And also it's part of your job on earth to- Keep kindness alive. Let's just sort of stamp this topically because we're all in our own homes, bloody doing the Zoom thing for lockdown. I it's haven't seen glorious hair in ages. I don't even I know, know what you look like. <laughs> it's relevant to us now, but for dealing with empathy, burnout, that's relevant to dog training industry, people dealing with their yeah. clients yeah. forever. So if you're coming across this episode five years from now, it it, will be this relevant is relevant information. This isn't just lockdown, no, we're fucking killing no, ourselves. No, no, no. This is a life lesson. Yeah, okay. This is a life lesson that imprinted in me. I'm like, if I would have known that five years ago, I wouldn't have had to close my private practice because of burnout. It, mm. It's a changer. No, it's a huge one. Wow. No, it's, it's massive. Mm. It's huge. So, yes. I'd love that you join us and stay with us. And I really also would like you to invite that you pay attention. Don't multitask. Take time for it. Stay with the topic because we're also going to do a practical exercise at the end. So it's a really important lesson. And I really would like that you give yourself this chance to really take it in. And you don't have to agree with everything, but I would like to invite you to come from a place of curiosity and openness mm-hmm. because you are important. You, we want that you feel seen and heard because you are really mattering. Like you are essential in this world. And this is maybe a start for you to feel that. And I know we're just a podcast, but at the same time, amazing life lessons happen through podcasts. And, and the first thing I would like to do is that I want to establish a little bit what empathy actually is, because I think there's a lot of misinformation out there. And empathy is a great example how how science learned about it and changed its mind around it and then came to different conclusions to when it started out. So it's this beautiful journey of development and evolution within science. And I love that Jamil is just openly acknowledging the journey of science. So so very often science has facts, but then they evolve too, right? Facts present differently. And he has such a wonderful way of talking about it. And essentially, if you're not quite, I was not quite clear on what empathy actually was, which is funny because I'm a clean psych. But the best example he gave was imagine that empathy is a pair of goggles and they're like thermal goggles. You know, when you see a building and you can see the temperature on things, mm-hmm. imagine you would have goggles and when you would look at a person, you could see their emotions. Like you would know what they're feeling. You would know how much happiness to have, how much sadness to have. You would know when, when things would change, like emotions are not static. We can go through um, a various 
pace of emotions in a really quick time where we can have lots of emotions. So, for example, when when people get told told news, they very often have lots of emotions happening at the same time because part of our human existence, our journey, is that we experience the whole range of experiences, all emotions. That's what the purpose of life very often is. And so imagine that if you would look at your friend or at your partner and you would just go like, wow, I know how you feel. I can really identify it. And you not only identify the big picture, you could be quite specific around it. And so what's happening if you would have this pair of goggles called empathy, all of a sudden that space between you and a person would become quite magical because you would build a bridge to that person. You would have an understanding of that person. So you as an observer would empathize all of a sudden because you would have an understanding, you would have information where that person is coming from, and that's empathy. Most people, when they think about empathy, is that they associate, hey, I feel your pain. Like Mm. we have this massive understanding that empathy means, hey, I feel your pain. And that's how I thought it. Like if you would have asked me before reading his book, what's empathy? I'm like, I feel your pain, like mirror neurons. Like Mm -hmm. I know what's happening. It's happening for you, so it could happen in my body. I would be so attuned to you that I could feel it. And I honestly think I set myself up for a bit of a woozy because I thought that empathy is something to strive for, but also that you should feel other people's pain subconsciously. I think that's what I took on board. And science is very differently approaching this right now. They Mm. differentiate different types of empathy. And we're going to talk about what types of empathy are helping you. And especially if you're in a really difficult position as a working with highly emotional people or in a veterinary setting or with a dog trainer or as a carer or as a parent, it's really important to know now that different types of empathy and we need to learn to fine tune them. And that's a skill actually that's going missing more and more. Mm. I like the mm from Pat Stewart. So what do you think so far? For me, I was never an empathetic person that I remember, especially not when I was in the army. I think that I was able to feel sympathy for people, but never empathy. And then I read a book called Brain Rules for Baby by a guy called John Medina. It's probably one of the best books I've ever read. And it said one of the key things in being a parent is being empathetic. So I started working on that a lot, but I'm interested to see where you go and explain empathy because for me, not being a naturally empathetic person I had to do a lot of work in trying to understand other people's emotions and how they got to that point, but couldn't actually feel them. And so for me, it was a sort of a case of really, like I think we spoke about in the past, like I could create a fiction to try and feel it myself and, but try and understand, you know, especially when you see somebody that's upset over something that seems like nothing to you. I think you used a good example one time, Glenn, about someone's rabbit dying Mm. and them Mm -hmm. being like, oh, it's just a rabbit, get over it. And you go, well, that rabbit played a role in that person's life that that role is filled by my wife. And so like it would be the same as my wife dying, you, that rabbit dying. And so if I can't, I can't sympathize about that any, because like, I don't care about your rabbit. Well, no, I can sympathize. I can feel sympathy for you, but to feel empathy for you in that, I have to not imagine a rabbit. I have to imagine it being the role that that rabbit plays for you. And so for me, it was about, became about really understanding people's emotions and how they get to that point. I think that in the science literature, this will be called theory of mind, being yeah. able to put yourself in other people's shoes. Yeah. But just to clarify, empathy actually refers to several ways we respond to each other, not just how we feel. So you can have identifying what others feel. That's called cognitive empathy. So you can name it. Do you understand? 
cognitively understand with mm-hmm. your mind. Then there is emotional empathy, which means you share their emotions. That's what you just talked about. And then the next point is you want to improve the experience. So that's empathic concern. So there's a, it's quite a lot of steps to a holistic concept of empathy. So for instance, some people go like, oh, I can have cognitive empathy. I rationally understand, but I don't feel much. Mm-hmm. Like there's this lack. So it's, there are more processes to it. I think for me, that's where I started. But through a lot of practice of that, I became something else. Is that that's what you're it. about to yeah. explain? Yeah. So essentially, I believe that a lot of people feel like, hey, if you don't have empathy, then you don't have it. That's not true. Empathy is a skill set that has to be learned. And it will be harder and harder to learn in our society. And I'll go into that in a second. But the important part to understand is that, for example, people go like, oh, a narcissist has no empathy. Science has more and more evidence that, for example, a narcissist has too many sensations and they don't know how to categorize it and how to process it. So they're overwhelmed with information. So it's not the lack of information. We also have evidence now that they're overwhelmed with information because we have to understand a person that has an official diagnostics of narcissism has a super traumatic life most of the time. Mm. Like there's trauma response in there. So we have to also learn to not judge people because we're coming around from a point of their nervous system might be so either underwhelmed or overwhelmed that they don't know how to troubleshoot it. Do we know what percentage of people could be classified as narcissists? I believe it's between 1% and 3%. But however... Don't quote me on this, I don't know. But what I really want to tell people now is that I have clients who come to me, they're like, I've been called a narcissist, so there's no hope for me for empathy and changing it. I will be forever shit dad. Like, no, 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 no. We just have to help you process your own information. And also the trauma, the parts in you that struggle with this. There's a reason why this is. So that's a huge turning point in science that we go like, no, this is a skill. This is like Mm -hmm. communication. Mm -hmm. We just have to help you understand. You can build it. We can build it. And and there will probably also be in the psychologist community a bit because if you, I think you just have misunderstood, right? This is where science 20, 30, 40 years later goes like, hey, 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 we've done so much research. We're coming to a different conclusion. We've fulfilled our chapters here. So listen. So I hope that if you feel like that you're not a very empathic person or if you have too much empathy, hey, there's hope. It's a skill. It's like a dial on a stereo. You just need to learn how to use it. And that's what today is a bit about. Interesting your thoughts and feelings on science because I'm, I think it was Chad, maybe Chad Macken, who was one of the original people that said where we are right now is only because we're up to date with that current science, but that's ebbing and flowing all the time. And most people who acknowledge what science is, is science is really the pursuit of the truth. It's not just set in stone. It's where we are right now with the information and the technology that we currently possess. And it was interesting John Imler got me on to the Human Lab podcast. It's one that you listen to. I think you might listen to it as well. He posted something to you and me about listening to the Sapolsky one, which naturally I did. I went on there. And, you know, Sapolsky's now researching deeply into what testosterone is. I remember when I was a young dog trainer and my vet and the surrounding vets were lecturing us on how testosterone affects the body. And if you castrate a male dog, for example, it's guaranteed to have a behavioral difference on the dog. Whereas now when you listen to Sapolsky, he's talking about testosterone as an amplifier of a behavior that's already inlaid within you. Mm. So he doesn't necessarily say that testosterone is the cause of aggression. He says all it does is it amplifies 
who you are when it's switched on and when it's flowing strong within the body. But he also talks about the relationship of testosterone. Listen to the podcast because it's fascinating. Can I just fangirl that you got to interview him at a conference? Like I was, I, I have, it was a big moment, very proud. You, you have no idea what that meant to me. I don't because I wasn't there, but I'm like, I had a feeling how much it meant to you. Well, I can tell you how much it meant to me based on how nervous I was because oh. I don't get nervous really talking to people much anymore, but I was shitting myself. Yeah, I'll bet. Like I bet. it was, I, I was so it. nervous because, yes, I saw it as being a, an incredible opportunity, but also I didn't want to do it and ruin it for the dog community at large that I messed something up yeah. or didn't do it a justice. I'm still not happy with the way I introduced him. I could have done that better, but calling him Uncle Bobby probably wasn't. <laughs> <laughs> but I was so happy for you, and I love that analogy that you know that such a legend in science is going like, "Hey, we are evolving all the time." But the key thing is that we also have people who have access to science and those informations that we pass it on because we have to change our mindset. Like this book changed my mindset on empathy, and I'm like oh, my God, if I would have known that five years ago, I wouldn't have burned out so much because now I know what I would have done differently. Mm. I had a complete, utter wrong core belief that was not just a core belief, that's how I lived my life. Essentially, the reason when you feel like empathy is a bit, you don't really know how to turn that stereo handle on the empathy volume, please give yourself that gift of practicing it because it's the bridge between you and the world, you and the people you and healthy relationships, you of having motivation, you of being a beautiful force of change and love and light in people's life. Because if you don't have it, you're missing out. Do you think, Bertie, that there are people that are preventing us from having this, of feeling this, or trying to steer us away from oh, feeling like this? The whole like world this? at the moment is quite designed to be non-empathetic. Like I just At the beginning you gave an example of how it feels difficult to be in a group of people because you do something wrong and he gives like um jamil gives an example how far away we have come from each other in an experiment and and i i haven't written the experiment down but i remember reading it and it was that i think he was a refugee in his book please read it yourself but it basically was that you could shoot someone through the internet in a museum exhibition and the experiment was like, will someone on the internet hit the trigger and shoot that person? Of course. Yes, it did not stop. He couldn't sleep for a month. I can't remember the number, but it was thousands of people, like nonstop. He couldn't even sleep. Like he, he had to train his body to ignore the constant shooting through the internet at him. So if we, we are so desensitized towards each other, we're so far away from empathy and feeling kindness for each other because empathy gives the way for kindness that we just shoot people on the internet. Like if we're giving the option, we don't care. We're so detached, we dehumanize people so easily. So it's really important that we understand we need empathy as part of our evolution to stay within us because we are not impressive as a human race. Like we are not strong, we are not that beautiful, we're not that powerful compared to some animals, right? But empathy and the willingness to be kind makes us collaborate, we're building communities, we help each other, we are building beautiful constructs and companies and hopefully movements and all those things because we can collaborate. And that puzzled Darwin because he's like, oh, that's a bit against the natural selection and evolutionary process. But it's actually our key gift and it's about to die out if we don't take action. So if you're listening and you go like, I don't know what the purpose of life is, 
This might be one. Practice your empathy. Practice your kindness because they go together. That's so important. I just want to insert something there that I was thinking about this the other day. I was actually lying in bed and about to get up in the morning. I turned on the news and I turned it off because I thought this is so disconnecting. Every time I watch this, I feel like I hate the world a little bit more. Like it's infusing me with disappointment and mistrust of people. And I was thinking to myself, even though it comes from a comedy movie, this really highlights some of the problems that we have. When you watch certain movies or when you're seeing news and you're, you're hearing about people getting killed or you kind of, you're disconnected to it. Like you don't really care about it too much. And it comes from the movie Austin Powers. I think it was either Goldmember or The Spy Who Shagged Me. And in the movie, it highlighted the life of a henchman, you know, mm. like when they get- Oh, yeah, and with Crowley's Rob- wife and, yeah. That's yeah. right. You know, like you just see people getting annihilated in this battle between Austin Powers and whoever he's fighting at the moment. But then it had Rob Lowe with his group of buddies because he was working for Dr. Evil at the time. And even yeah. though this is silly, it still means something that- when you actually take time to snapshot into, you know, that group of friends, that's a group of people or a family unit or a community that nobody else cares about because yeah. they don't have empathy for them because they just see it as, well, you're in that job and that was your job to get killed. Have it. you seen it, Bertie? No. So um, he runs over a guy in a steamroller, like <laughs> slow motion, and he's one of the henchmen for the bad guy, but he's just like the security at the facility. And then it goes on this weird tangent where the- it was Nicholas Cage, I think. I can't remember. But yeah. they call his wife and they're like, you know, he's died in a workplace accident and he's got kids and and there's they, they sort of show his whole life in that mm. he's more than a henchman for the bad guy. He was just security at a facility and he died in this thing and they show the fallout of mm. his death yes. in his community. They show his friends finding out and all kinds of stuff. And it's, just the snowball effect oh, that it has. There is so much, like, Tamil talks about so many examples about where this is missing. Like, there's less and less empathy just demonstrated in movies, in songs, right? Even our living situation has changed so much. Like we used to be, before globalization was a big thing, you knew that your future partner would come from a certain geographical aspect because you just knew, like, you know, like in the 50s and 60s, an airplane ticket was really expensive. Mm. But also what it, that meant was you were living in a community where you could practice empathy because you had to, you, you couldn't escape it. So it was this really truthful mirror of how is this going and it was also an amplifier for karma because if you don't get it right, well, bad things will happen because you can't, you, you're operating in a small community that needs each other. Like I grew up in a village where there was one big industrial company, a business that most employed most people. So if you had a fallout there, everyone knew. So you had to get your shit together because the whole village knew that you were a dick to your wife. Mm. I think there was just this underlying, we need to make this work as a community because that's, who we are, this is our surroundings, this is our safety. And what we have to understand is that kindness, which is like the tendency to help each other, even if it costs us something, which you need empathy for, if you have an empty tank and you are maybe even living, like in, for example, in Manhattan and in Los Angeles, 90% of the people live by themselves, totally by themselves. Like they don't have a community like we are used to in the 60s or earlier that you have nothing left to give because you're not, your tank's not filled up. No one sees and hears you. To feel loved is to be seen and heard and understood. I don't need to fix you, but I do want to see and hear you. Mm. So we, removing this kind of natural process of how, how to fill our tanks up, 
these days, who volunteers to run the soccer club every night for the eight-year-olds? Who volunteers to run a dance class or anything? Like people are just totally focused on egocentric status, money-driven goals. Like my Insta feed is telling me every day how to apply an eyeliner in 30 different ways. <laughs> they don't tell me that. Well, tells me all the- <laughs> but what I'm saying is we, having a focus on things that maybe harm our evolutionary process. And if we want to really give our children hopes or the, our next dog's hopes, talking about bigger picture family here, we need to make sure that we are aware how important these things are. I think in the dog community, certainly online, people are kind of not numbed, but maybe just protected or unaware of the consequences of their actions when they have online interactions with people. So you might be in a a message thread and just drop some zinger, say something really mean. And for you, like that's it, it's over. And you never see the reaction of that person. And you might not see the spiral and, you know, that upset that comes of that and that person. I feel like almost no matter who you say that to, there's an effect, right? Like even if it's a people who it's water off a duck's back, it still has somewhat of an effect. And people say and do these things, they would never say and do it in real life. And we often sort of, I talk about it, Jay's a better example. Let's talk about Jay. Like people can be a smart ass or something to Jay online, but very few people are in person because they know if this devolves to a fight, this motherfucker will turn me into a pretzel, right? But I don't know that that's the real issue i think as well that people are mean because they don't actually see what happens yeah so it's not that they're avoiding like the harm that could come to them by you know being nicer in public and mean online and you know you're on the other side of the world i can say what i want with impunity because i know there's nothing you can do to me that certainly plays a role but i think the main role really is i don't see what happens to you after i say that and i don't see the effect that that has on you and, you know, someone like this is why we're so we carry on so much about people being kind in our Facebook group is that you don't know someone might have fucking typed that thing out 15 times and fixed it. And, you know, they had it sitting in their drafts in their phone and they had a little video of them and their dog in a moment that they're proud of. It took them two weeks to build the courage to post that. And then one person can say one shitty thing or even just hit like the the angry face, you know, that can be enough. And that can totally fuck someone's day, life, week, you know, like, and so you don't see that when you're online. You just like, oh, I I give you this reaction and I move on to the next. He mentions many studies that go exactly into that. Like read it if you want to understand this. But it's really scary because people are also just not able to read people's reactions really well. Narelle shared a meme with me yesterday and it's got this little blob living inside a box which is labelled introverts and then the box opens and the little blob comes out and goes, maybe I'll tell a joke and then someone punches it and it's got nobody laughs. So it goes back in the box and the box gets thicker and it says never again. Yeah. Mm. Yeah, that's That's exactly it. it. Mm. The term that I've wanted to say is called emotional granularity. It's the ability to actually be able to name the emotions precisely. Emotional granularity. Granularity. Yeah, and we're going to talk about that in a second. But the main thing is, as a therapist, and even on myself, I had to work on being able to actually name my experience. Mm. So when you say, hey, I just had a bad day, you have very little emotional granularity. If you can tell me, tell me the depth of it, the color of it, you know, like the real, so I really understand 
it opens you up to this opportunity to take action and monitor it just because you were looking at your own emotions and it doesn't just live in exile somewhere and you actually had time to look at it because we know the more we are able to face our own stuff, the better it is. And it's so interesting because training at the moment in what's called bad trip integration after a psychedelic experience because a lot of people in the underground have a terrible experience. And it is so interesting that the fear of psychology or to not being able to look at your own emotions gets so blown out in that supercharged space. So it's so important that you really understand the parts of you that you've sent into exile or into basement that you never looked at and that you learn to have the language around it. And especially as a parent, part of your job is to give your children the vocabulary for their experiences. However, that means that you have to have a vocabulary for your own experiences first, mm. right? So there is a coaching psychology tool called an emotional emotion wheel and you can google it and it shows you for all the primary emotions the secondary and tertiary emotions names and if you struggle if you go like if i say to you and i come from a place of openness heart and i have time for you like it would be i would be interested in hearing you and i'm like hey how was your day and you go like it was bad it was shit and i'm like okay tell me more and you struggle to name it and differentiate have a look emotion wheel you need to learn to identify your emotions that's interesting. Again, in that same book, Brain Rules for Baby, and it's something I've done a lot of, especially lately, is it explains that when kids have a new emotion for the first you know, couple of hundred times, it's, it's overwhelming and, it, and they don't really know what's happening to them. And by naming it and explaining it, you can walk them through it. Like jealousy is a really interesting one. Mm. When kids get jealous, they just know they feel terrible and they know that they're angry and, and like there's this big, you know, it's this... Jealousy, I suppose, is a concoction of other emotions. And I can remember even having that conversation with Rip and saying to him, like, hey, man, what's happening is this, that you feel jealous. You're That's emotionally what coaching him. Yeah, yes. but this is jealousy. It's happened because of these reasons. It's fair to feel that way, but you can't act the way that you're acting. Right. And it was like, you know, what you're doing, what happened to you is not fair. And it's minor shit. It's like a kid taking a toy off of him. Right. But it, that's the first time he feels jealousy as a, as a little toddler. And within the vocabulary that he has, you then got to try and explain it. And um, I never thought of doing that to people. I never thought of doing that to adults. I mean, because like with kids, it's like he's feeling it for the first time. You got to sort of explain what that is. But I suppose what you're saying is there's a lot of adults that yeah. need it done to them. So I'm a trauma therapist. One of the biggest and most common traumas is emotional deprivation. Emotional deprivation is not necessarily bad things happening to it, it's that not good things were happening, mm -hmm. like emotional coaching, like giving you the time to process your emotions, to sit down with you and figure, help you figuring out what's happening for you, to show you, hey, you have a choice in this, this is the behavior that's helpful, this is unhelpful. Hey, I see you, hey, I sit with you, I acknowledge you when you're struggling. I praise you when you do good things, but I'm also not abandoning you when difficult things happen. I'm interested in your day, whether you performed or not performed. So emotional deprivation is a big part and it's really common. And that is very often also for people when they can't name their emotion because they didn't have someone to tell you, hey, that's jealousy, buddy. Hey, that's frustration. Hey, that's anger. Hey, that's sadness. It's cool. No worries. Look at your emotion. Nothing can hurt you. But acknowledge them. Tell me that. Yeah. So this is... I think for the dog industry, really important because the more aware we are of our own emotions, the more we can help other people 
mm-hmm. that they can acknowledge it. And also it doesn't feel scary then because if you go like, oh, I have an idea what's happening for that person, you can sit with it because you know, oh, that's just a process. Mm-hmm. But coming back to the dog community, I think when we have too much empathy in the form of in an unhelpful way, we can have compassion fatigue. And I, th- I see that a lot. Like, you know, when I was at the ICP Zoomland conference, it was very noted that burnout is a real thing in our community. And compassion fatigue was coined by Carla Johnson about three decades ago. And it's this repetitive strain of too much empathy. And it happens in very stressful jobs like kennels, in veterinary industries, in ICU units, in caring wells. Like it's really common. But Jamil is really interested in a topic and looked at various ideas how to help those people. And it's really complicated. And I got a good taste of that because I'm like, hey, I'm here to help. And it didn't go well. And the interesting thing is that there is so much shame around getting that help because you have been reinforced that you make it work, just make it work. You can do it. What's the point? And especially the interesting part is also that there is a structure of support there, but then there is no time to apply that structure or the expectation is too high on that structure or they're shaming around using that structure of support. Jamil talks about various projects and they all struggled at the beginning to really be impactful and helpful. And it took them quite a while to be then embraced by the community. And if you are in such a really compassion fatigued, secondary trauma kind of job, read his book because he names various projects where they do certain things to help people. And maybe there's a project that resonates with you in there. But what I'm saying is, we can only help the community if we help ourselves first. Mm-hmm. And this part of emotional granularity that we are taking time, that we allow ourselves to go like, hey, I need a moment to check in with myself to see what's happening, is the first step of first emotional self-aid. This is so important because otherwise you don't know if you're okay or not. So for instance, if you're a vet nurse and you have to have a euthanasia, Nine times out of ten, it's fine, but there might be one doctor who reminds you of your own personal dog and that day makes you really wobbly. Mm-hmm. Then you need to check in with, with yourself so you can put other actions in place to help yourself. If you miss that, it sets you up that you maybe overgive, right, because you over-identify with that dog. A lot of mistakes are made in medical practices when we either overcare, we invest our resources too much on one client with then having not enough resources for others, or we are so detached that we don't care at all. So it's really important that we find this middle line where we don't overgive but not totally remove ourselves either. And you can see that in, in hospitals very often you can either have a nurse that goes above and beyond and you go like, oh, my God, you're an angel, or you have someone where you go like, excuse me, can you please care, <laughs> right? Mm-hmm. It's so important that both reactions stem actually from the same problem. They're both not okay. Right? So you could technically argue, and this would be a very interesting argument, that a super empath and a narcissist are on the same spectrum, just different polarities. They wow. both need similar, like that could be a discussion to have, right? Yeah, right? So I think we also need to be really understanding and kinder to ourselves and look at our shadow sides and go like, oh, me pointing the finger, we might have more in common than we think. Mm-hmm. We just cope really differently. You heard the song The Gambler by Kenny Rogers? Nope. You haven't? Nope. Mm. I used to listen to it um, oh, because I'm a child of the 70s. I, you got to know when to fold them. That's was the that? one. Know when to hold them. Know when, when to hold them, yeah. Know when to hold them, know when to fold them, know when to walk away and know when to run. 
it's a bit of a philosophy that I kind of live by. It's nice that we're talking about empathy and, and love and reaching out, but also for people's clarity of mental health. This is probably recycling stuff that we've talked about before, but I feel that it's very important. Part of my empathy for other people is to know when to walk away. Some, oh, you have to. You have to because have to. sometimes the strain of trying to exist in a space or a relationship with a person or with a group of people where it's becoming very unhealthy, that's also very counterproductive totally. of your mental health and the situation and the structure that you're in as well. I know that I've touched on this topic through some episodes before where part of a really big breakdown for me when I first got into it when I was young is my philosophy and belief that I was going to save every dog on the planet. Mm. You know, like anybody who came to me, I was going to help them and I was going to fix their dog. Oh, yes. And that put, oh man, that put so much pressure on me because I think when I became a dog trainer, I felt control in my life that I've never felt before. I was adrenalized with love and affection and the desire of being popular. And it was like one of those super colliders that everything came together. And I felt like I really existed and I was seen properly for the first time in my life. Because I'd conjured this belief, I'm now this superhuman person with all these abilities to create and control what's going on. Because I didn't feel like that before. I was very much out of control and I never could control what was happening in my life. So when I put that unrealistic expectation in my life, like now I finally have these special powers, like I can do something Mm. and be something, you know, like I had something that I never really had before, but when I couldn't do it, that started to really shake my foundations. Then it caused problems for me. It wasn't until much later in life and through being with different people in different fields, not just dog training, I'm talking, you know, like spending time with psychologists and so forth and speaking with sage people, I realized that I was taking on too much. Like I was taking on burdens that should never have been placed on me in the first instance. I should have identified it and thought, this is well beyond me. And I, so and, I, and I can't fix this. And I'm not supposed to fix this. Like this is something that, and it's, it's yeah. the reason why a GP will say, you need to go to a specialist. I'm not trained in this. I have no qualifications to help you now. You need to see this other person. That's a system now that I defend rigorously for anybody in any walk is that you have to identify what you're actually capable of doing and what you're not capable of doing needs to be directed to somebody who is more capable in that area. And that's no shame. There's no shame in that. No No shame. It's actually assistance. It is assistance and I just want to clarify. So despite me being very easily empathetic with someone who has, you know, very unhelpful traits in their life, I need to have boundaries I understand and have empathy for you, but I don't tolerate shit. Like there's a difference in how you feel and how you treat people, like behavior and emotional states. They have to still be respectful at least. So I think what's super important is empathy acknowledges the human in you, boundaries acknowledges the human in me. And that's healing. So we can only take charge of our own healing. We have to look at, hey, how do I call my power back, which in psychology terms would be the locus of control. What can I do? If you are in the veterinary industry and you fight mortality, your whole focus is on dogs not dying and not suffering, you have most likely a higher burnout rate than when you go like, I celebrate life. I want vitality. Very different mindset. One is very painful because you're fighting something you can't fight. One is celebrating something. Feels very different. Mm. Right? So we have to also be really careful about how we approach things. 
And that is, again, and I know people are sick of me saying this, you have to have moments of stillness in your life that you can check in with yourself. If you're constantly busy, if you're constantly numbing yourself or self-soothing or overworking, when do you check in with yourself? And even if that is just five minutes in the car when you transition from your job into your family life, right, or, or from one Zoom meeting to the other, but you need to give yourself this opportunity of that you matter, that you're allowed to heal as well. How can you heal someone else and go like, hey, I want to help you if you can't help yourself? And this comes from a psychologist who closed her practice because she was really shit at it, right? Like I hope you don't have to go down the path that I did because I didn't get it. I should have read Jamil's book ages ago. I did not know. Mm. So we share it. It's a gem. And you know, it even comes from the basics of first aid. You can't help others unless you help yourself. Like yes. you have to be safe first and you have to be in a good position to help others because if you're not, you'll go down with them. It's yeah. a tricky one because I've saw a meme. Memes are life. Yeah. Um, <laughs> I Love saw you, a, Katrina. <laughs> yeah. But it was just a thing on Instagram and it spoke to me. It said, all I can do for you is look after myself and all you can do for me is look after yourself. Very similar to Ramdas, a favourite of ours. Yeah, probably is a quote of his recycled. And I think that sometimes that could be interpreted in a lot of different ways. That's the wisdom in it, right? Like yeah. you have to – I think that is where this internal wisdom comes from because if you're a father or a mum, you very often give without nothing having in the tank because that's your role. Yeah. But I feel like that graphic – could be used as someone's justification for fucking over someone or not helping when they could have or something like that. It's like, yeah. no, I'm number one. I have to look after myself. And I think that that idea that you have to look after yourself first before you look after other people is contingent on the idea that being kind to others is part of looking after yourself. Yes. Right. You and, can't be good. Like, and, and that's what people often leave yes, out. Like people are like, no, 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 no. Like I, you know, even Jordan Peterson has a whole chapter in his book about it. Like it's about make, you know, who are you to help others when your life is a mess? And that's fair enough. Right. But then I think some people kind of are like, so who am I to help others? Full stop. Like that's it. That's, that's where it. it ends. And it, The all or nothing mindset. Well, yeah, and it's mm. just a misinterpretation of that. And yep. like when the quote is, all I can do for you is look after myself and all you can do for me is look after yourself, that keeps us very separate. And I feel like there's another paragraph after that that yeah. we need to then discuss and say, but what's important in looking after yourself is maintaining community, keeping friendships, giving what you can so that when you're the person in need, it is given back to you and probably not by the same person. That's one of the things like I feel like a lot of the things that we do, especially, you know, the big religions have a lot to answer for in this, isn't it? Like we simplify things to the point where they lose their meaning, where it's like pay it forward, right? You hear that a lot, yeah. pay it forward. And it's like what that really means, I think, is accept help from others and you're then not indebted to them. No, you're indebted to your community. Yeah, your community. And it's not like pay it forward and then people in the fucking drive through line are paying for the coffee of the person behind them and thinking that they've like, I've done it, I'm contributing. And it's like, no, no, no. Pay it forward means give where you can and take where you must. And I feel like it just got dumbed down to this point of. It is. And it's. It's got to start somewhere though. But yeah. it's also, so, so I but think, not stop there. Like, yeah, 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 I agree. But I do think that healing is complicated, right? Yeah, like, totally. Folks, that meme would be the essence of someone who is a martyr or self-sacrificer who does everything for others without helping themselves. You give them a, as a mantra, I'm like, hey, 
I know your life traps well enough. This is your mantra. If you give that to someone who's very good at looking their own needs and you give that, I'm like, no, you're missing the point, buddy. Yeah. Right? So this is, again, wisdom. That's why you need to be still and look at your own parts and at your own time. So you know, am I a taker? Am I a giver? Do I have balance? How does it look like? Am I in a stage of my life where I invite help in? Can I actually ask for help in a healthy way? Do I know what that looks like? There are so many, we could go on so many podcasts because, for example, when we have this idea, hey, I'm having a shit day, can I talk to someone? That doesn't mean that you emotionally download on someone without permission. Mm. That's also not it. Yeah. So we could go on lots of tangents down there. But coming back to the topic mm-hmm. and also starting with becoming more practical, right? So right now we're starting to dive into what can you actually do. So and one tool we've mentioned is the emotion wheel. Learn to identify you your emotions if you struggle with it go google it take a photo put it on your screen on your phone look at it don't use the words how was your bit day bad or good try to be descriptive have interest in other people ask questions another thing would be that and it comes from a buddhist meditation practice that you practice compassion so compassion is caring about someone without taking on their pain that you go like yeah i see you yep i wish you well though that's all I can do for you, essentially. So there's this huge difference in going like, oh, wow, you had a really bad day. I feel it in my core bones now. What? How can I save you from this? That's not compassion. Compassion is like, wow, I see you. I hear you. I heard that you had a really difficult day. Okay, I sit with you with it and I wish you well. But I walk away with not having a, a drop in my pain or an increase in my pain levels. Mm-hmm. But I do see you. And it's interesting, like he, he mentions in the book how people who have some form of world beliefs or spiritual beliefs, they're a bit more resilient in that regard. Because, for example, I remember that for me as a, as a psychologist, and that's very personal. No one has to have the same beliefs. But for me, I'm like, life's a teacher. Everyone has their journey. I'm here to cheer you on in your journey, but it's your journey. It's not my journey. It's your life. It's not my life. Help me tremendously to relieve the the pressure on I'm a healer. I'm a psychologist who has to fix things, right? That just gave me the, no, I witness you. I cheer you on. I give you everything I can, but it's your journey. It's Mm -hmm. not my responsibility. And you could have a very different view on that, but it's just if you have a context around it, what you actually believe in happens in life, you can apply that. And I think a lot of people struggle to go like, I don't know how to acknowledge other people in a difficult situation. And this was the best advice someone gave me. She's like, if you don't know what another person experiences and you don't have the time, but you do want to cheer them on in life, you just go like, wow, that's tricky. Could be anything. (laughs) (laughs) But I wish you well. But it's like I see and hear you. I I acknowledge you and I wish you well. I think that's an important aspect, isn't it, is sometimes, I'm not going to speak for everybody, but sometimes you feel invisible and sometimes to be seen is one of the greatest. It's love. It's one of the greatest feelings of all time. I just want to cycle back to when you started talking about empathy and you raised the whole point about the rabbit the power that music have and the words that people have, like they're poets and they're, I think some of these people who write music are really deep thinkers. Like they have really thought about the pain and the anguish and even the love and the feeling of, of society. It was funny. It was a, it was a song that just popped into my playlist years and years ago, but this is one of the songs that really made me think about that rabbit. It made me think about that. And it was a song by culture club called love is love. Oh, yeah. And it talks about 
love is whatever it is to you at the time. Mm. And that's where it really, like it hit me like a lightning straight in the top of the head. Like I thought, holy shit, like I got, I fucked this up. I've got this entirely wrong. It doesn't matter what you love. When you love something, that means the world to you. You know, Layla, who's the Swedish girl that used mm-hmm. to work here, who's back in Sweden. Mm-hmm. You know, she's got a couple of little pet rats that run around her place. Now, to some people, that would be absolutely disgusting. But to her, she loves those little rats. Mm-hmm. They're like a little fam. It's a little posse. For people who might have been repulsed going, oh, that's disgusting, having rats running around. But what's the difference with dogs, where other people think, oh, it's terrible and filthy to have dogs running around your house and coming inside and spreading diseases and stuff like that, but we wouldn't have it any other way. That's where that song really infused into me the, the whole concept of I got it wrong. I didn't understand that their love for their little rabbit at the time was something that I mocked and I thought was silly until I saw that child's tears and how deeply affected they were. And I thought, yeah, you you missed the point there. Like you, you have judged poorly and – it still plays on my mind. Like it still has a far reaching effect on me. Like I feel bad about that now, even though I don't want to carry that round, it will still be attached to me as a little reminder that sometimes you need to be better and you shouldn't be so quick to judge. It is. And I, I do think that, you know, especially as parents, whatever you, you know, parent to our dogs or to our children, we learn about our own wounds, our concepts. It's such a clear mirror of what we're struggling with or what, what's hurting in us. And, and I think they are such an important part in us very often. But do you find sometimes that, which is a phenomenon that I see, that I've seen parents before they've been parents who are generally bright and animated people. But when they have kids, it's kind of like all they do is exist for kids. Like it's, they kind of feel like, oh, I'm not important anymore. It's just my children that are now important. And I've seen that, I've seen that phenomenon exist in a few people before where they kind of like lose purpose. Like they don't matter anymore. It's just about raising the kids and bringing them into the world. It's interesting. I've, I, I think about that. It is interesting, but I don't, I have zero judgment towards it because on one hand, I think that is part of your role in your hormones and biology, maybe play a role in it just to survive because you don't sleep. Like, I, I'm like, I don't know. And then the other part is like, it's happening to me right now and I never thought I was in this position. So I have two beautiful stepchildren. They're my own children. Like, I love them absolutely dearly. And my hormones are kicking in and I'm turning my head around for prams at the moment. I'm like, this has never happened, but I'm hitting 39. So so my biology is like, now's the time if you want to do something. I'm like, we were cool so far. <laughs> like, I don't understand. So I, I don't know, but I, I have a lot of... I feel like there are so many different ways how to approach parenthood and as long as you, you know, have awareness of what's happening and I think sometimes you don't, like I would be just a sleepwalking zombie because I'm like, I don't know how parents do it. It's a different thing. It's weird. I think that you can have a dog or, you know, a a rat, anything, and you can love it. You really can. You really can. But when you have a a kid. Beautiful Axel. Yeah, well, it's. It's, it's not just like a thing or a, a being that you can love. It's part of you and the other half of it is probably the other half of the person you love most in the world. Mm. I think, again, not to minimize the experience of the rabbit lover, but I think it's a different thing. For me, when I had Rip, I, like really it was a huge, 
you know, it was like super emotional time, like where you're sort of coming to terms with the fact that you've I've got a kid and you go like your life is different now and you got to love him. And then, and then, you know, we had Axel eight weeks ago or nine weeks ago or whatever. And I was expecting to feel like here comes that big surge of whatever it was and it never came. And then I was like, well, I'm already it. Like I've already had that change as a person. I've gone from not being a dad to a dad. And that, was a big feeling like you physically you could feel the a difference in myself anyway and then there's no change and then you sort of think like oh like am i less connected to my second child no it's none of that it's that you already are the person that you already are the dad you didn't disappear like you didn't well you didn't know me before i had kids like you met me well, i think we only met once or twice before i had rip and so like i'm definitely a very different person very different and there would be people that say that i did vanish okay that's reasonable because that's like true. People who are out partying every weekend, yeah, you know, assuming that partying is allowed, they would be like, Pat doesn't come out anymore. And I'll tell you, I don't fucking want to, <laughs> right? And it starts out with reasons of the logistics of having a hangover as a parent are totally different, right? Mm. Like you can't be out drinking till four in the morning and then, because that kid's waking up, Axel wakes up presently at 4.30 most mornings and I, I'm up from 4.30 most days, right? But I could do that if I wanted to because I don't have children and I don't want to. Yeah, but that's all right. And so it starts it's out with like- a change. Yeah, it starts out with I don't want to because I don't want to deal with that. But then it's also like, no, if I have to choose who I'm going to spend time with, I, I'm choosing them over, you know, the- the people I would go partying with. And it's, and it's not that I don't like those people or love those people. It's that I just don't want to do that anymore. And if being friends with them is contingent on doing that, then I guess we're not really friends. It's growth. Life keeps moving. Yeah. Different and parts. Different developmental stages at different lifetime stages. Yeah. I was just realising before that I didn't explain something. So it is in psychology, not just in Buddhist meditation, there is this similar difference and it's called empathic distress versus empathic concern if you want to scientifically go for it so empathic distress is again feeling as someone else does by vicariously taking on their pain and empathic concern feeling for someone and wanting to improve their well-being and every burnout prevention program that Jamil mentions in his book is targeted towards increasing empathic concern so feeling for someone and wanting to improve their well-being whilst not taking it on. So if you're into that, maybe get his book and Google it. But I was wondering, maybe we should start getting practical and do the little meta meditation, which is a scientific way how you can improve your biology towards empathy. Let's do it. I love a meta meditation. You love a meta meditation? It's very powerful. So basically, it's a meta meditation is that you improve your empathic concern by wishing someone well-being. Mm-hmm. And it starts off, you will see it in a sequence with yourself or with others, and then it gets harder and harder. I would really invite you that if you're driving, then don't stop. But if you can, find a comfortable position and join us. I'd love that. Yeah? Let's do it. Mm. Let's do it. Okay. You'll be able to get this soundbite off, Glenn, and use it in your upcoming meditation app. Do you know, like, uh, the interesting <laughs> thing is, I, and I, I don't know how to approach this, but I was um, very generously given an award by the ICP. Oh, you were too. We haven't talked about that. We don't have to. But do you know what the number one request from that was? 
can you make your own meditation app, please? Yeah. <laughs> and, I'm like, and I'm like, you got to talk to Glenn. Like, <laughs> Glenn and Pat, because I, don't, I can only do it with them. I'm excited. But, I, I forgot that we're in well, the presence of IACP did, royalty here. Uh, well, we three of us, right? We've all been recipients of the President's Award. Yeah. yeah. Can I just say, I was able to run up to you and give you a hug <laughs> when you got Yeah, your, when I got mine, yeah. Yeah, that was pretty cool. Yeah. It was very cool. And I had to freak out on the stage. <laughs> yes, you did. <laughs> you did. Um, I completely um, forgot about that. You left me in the lurch. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that's what happens in a in Colorado where Yeah, pre COVID life. Yeah. I was in my peaches in my chair and and I was like, my husband's like, Did you just get an award? And I'm like, Yeah, president award. And he's like, Want coffee? I'm like, Yeah, thanks. <laughs> have they have they sent it to you yet? You don't actually have it? No. You'll yeah. get a little trophy like that little one up the top there. I can't see that, Glenn. I don't know what you're pointing at. Oh, there's a like a glass trophy up the top shelf up there. Yeah. Oh, Mine's cool. in the background here. See mine? Oh, yeah. So cool. So I will be as cool as you soon. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Oh, well. But that was the number one request that I have a meditation. Oh, well, you should do that. Sounds well, like something you should do. Maybe we should collab because I don't have the Glenn Cook and the Pet Stewart sound well, you just got to let me know when we can start traveling again. Come in the studio and sit down and we'll record it. Ooh, ooh, that, I, I would be excited for that. That would because I do feel that is. You and Dan come for dinner. We'll sit in here and you tell me how long you need and we'll, we'll record it and I'll get it to you. I might hold you accountable to that when COVID finishes because yeah, I think it. it would be good for the community and like for anyone really. It helped me a lot. Well, All right, you. let's do this meta. Okay, so. This is a meta meditation script by One Mind Dharma. Dharma means truth. has lots of different meanings, but it's not mine. It's from the internet. So there are lots of versions out there. And the main thing that I really want you to do is that you get comfortable. You can lie down or you can sit up. I'm not a very strict meditation teacher. I basically just want that you show up, how you show up, in what sitting position you are. I'm not bothered at this stage. I just want that you feel safe undisturbed and comfortable and normally would do it with you but I haven't got to read off the script so I'm just going to lead you through this and I just want that you give yourself a couple of deep breaths and just arrive and land with me in this moment right now just find a comfortable position and allow your eyes to gently close and just make minor adjustments in your body and it might be really helpful to remember your intentions and just have awareness of why you're here and you've listened to us for so long, so thank you. And just really give your body one or two more big, deep breaths. And just maybe, you know, acknowledge how you feel right now. Just acknowledge what's been happening. And just let your mind slowly settle and just slowly let yourself arrive for how you are. There's no judgment. Every part of you is welcome. And gently start just noticing your breathing. Just let it happen. You don't need to alter it. Just breathe. And just feel how your stomach is rising and falling. Notice how the oxygen is entering your body. Notice how your nostrils are moving. And just gently become aware of how you feel today. And I invite you that you can keep tracking or, you know, focusing on your breathing throughout the meditation. 
Like you can focus on your in and exhale. But it's also okay just to listen to my voice. Everything is welcome. It's all good. I just want to give you a couple of moments of silence just so you can feel how you feel. Check in with yourself and your breath. Just start slowing down. And it's okay if the mind wanders. It's to be accepted and accepted. It's just an opportunity really to come back to the present moment. When your mind takes you somewhere else, just come back to us. And every time our mind takes us away, it's just a strengthening exercise so we can recognize our ability to come back to the present moment. It's an opportunity, not a failure. It's not a problem. Just come back. And I invite you now that you focus on how you're arriving in this moment, how you're landing right now. And maybe there is a part in you that can connect with your own deepest intentions for happiness, ease and safety. You don't need to dive into the stories of what will make you happy, but just connect with that natural, deep, soulful desire that you have it. And you can cultivate this intention to open the heart to your own well-being by silently offering yourself some phrases of matter. In your head, slowly offer yourself the phrases. May I be happy. May I be healthy. May I be safe. May I be at ease. You can just say those things silently in your mind or you can feel them in your heart and just connect with that meaning and intention, with that compassion and really embrace it. Allow yourself to feel those things. And now I'm inviting you that you bring a good friend of yours to your mind. This may be a loved one, a friend, a teacher, or maybe your pet, your dog. Just think of them, bring them to your awareness. And it's easy for you. You connect with your natural desire to be seeing this person happy. and It's easy to connect. Just like you. This person wants to be happy, to feel safe and to be healthy. And in an effort to cultivate this intention of kindness, you can offer this person a few phrases of matter as well. So while thinking of this person, you can repeat in your mind and in your heart, hey, may you be happy, may you be healthy. May you be safe. May you be at ease. Just really allow yourself to feel those things for that person. 
Offering them those metaphrases. And now I'm inviting you that you bring a neutral person to your mind. This might be someone you see regularly but don't know very well. It may be someone who works somewhere you go a lot to, to supermarket, pharmacy, a co-worker or a neighbour. And although you don't know this person well, you can recognise that this person wants to be happy as well. You don't need to know what the happiness looks like. You don't need to understand what the version of happiness looks like. But you can offer this person the phrases of loving and kindness and connecting with the intention to care about their well-being. So you can send them these wishes. May you be happy. May you be healthy. May you be safe. May you be at ease. And as you let this neutral person go from your awareness, I would like you to invite you to bring someone to your mind that is difficult for you. You don't want to pick the most difficult person, but choose someone who is of minorly difficulty, like maybe someone who agitates and annoys you, but someone that you find a bit difficult, a bit aggravating. And I would like that you can offer these phrases again, recognizing that this connecting with our intention to care for this person. Although we may not mean it wholeheartedly every time we offer a phrase, we can make an effort. We can make an effort to connect with our intention and our kindness and compassion. And whilst you're thinking of this person that is a bit difficult for you, wish them if it feels for you. And just give it a go. May you be happy. May you be healthy. May you be safe. May you be at ease. And whilst you're doing that, I invite you to move along. And the last one is my personal edition, but I'm a big fan of this edition. I want that you visualize our beautiful earth, mother nature, where we're living on the planet with every human being on it, with every single dog and ant. And I want that you hold it in your awareness. And again, I'm inviting you that you connect with your intention and that you can offer them our world that we are part of, such an essential part of. May you be happy. May you be healthy. May you be safe. May you be at ease. Om Shanti, Shanti, Shanti. Thank you, everybody. We need a Glen bell. We need a bell at the beginning and afterwards to initiate it. I didn't bring a bell. It says here, ring bell. <laughs> I'm like, ew. Glenn can put one in in post. Yes, please put a meditation bell in at the beginning. I've got one of those singing bowls in my... Oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah, please, please, please put one in at the beginning. And yeah, end. every now and then when I think about it and, you know, like I'm trying to 
get into a tranquil state, I actually sit it in my lap and do the yeah right yeah. So you do the the ding yeah. at the front, and then you let it sing, and it's yeah, it's very soothing. It is, and even feeling the vibrations through your body, it's quite nice. Yeah, they can tune to different chakras. That's it, boys. Well, hey, thank hey. you so much for coming on the show. Thank you for having me, and thank you for always being so loving and kind and wishing me well. There's always so much support from you guys. I really, really appreciate it. We always thank want you. the best for you. And I think, you know, that's kind of the, when we have episodes like this, that's the premise of the whole show is that we want the best for our industry, for the people that listen to us. We don't always know what's right, but you do. So we get you. (laughs) (laughs) I don't, but I know that I wish everyone well. And I wish that our community has opportunities to get access to information, healing, whatever that looks like at the time, you know, like. Yeah, I think we can keep it together if everybody just tries to wish everybody well. And maybe if you're. You do that meta meditation. That's something I do quite a lot of. We spoke about that before, especially when I feel like anything other than what I want to feel towards people. I might see someone and they're doing well and it makes me angry and I'm like, why the fuck do I feel like that? And really then, you know, go out of my way to do that for them. It's been a huge help over the last few years. But what I think as well is, you know, if you can't do that, if you can't give people kindness, Give them space and nothing. Like you don't have to give them anger and vitriol. You can just be like, you can just give nothing. I like that. I agree with that. We've talked about this before. Again, it's a recycling sort of comment. There have been people that I've had to give them space from me and in like I've had to give myself space from them. It's not about hatred. It's just that, well, it's like the solar system. You know, like if some planets become too close to each other, it creates gravity wells and it creates problems within within each other. So, you know, it's it, they are where they are for the purpose of where they need to be. Yeah. And I'm the same with some people is I find that our personalities don't coexist very well and it's just better if I'm if I'm away from them. And that that way I don't have to focus on the negativity side. I just think I wish you well, but from afar. Yeah, and that's fine. I think that's the whole point, right, is that you take yeah. stock and go, like, what's happening for me? What's my way forward? Is there a teacher in this moment? How can I show up the best I can? And mm. very often that is space. Where we are talking about a bit of gratitude and so forth, I want to first of all say thank you to you, Bertie, oh, for, for almost me. every day you send me, like, a little cheery text. So do you. <laughs> I know, but, like, you're one of the people who regularly checks in and sends, like, a like a loving message Melanie Benware is another one and Emily Manuel from Melbourne is another person that on a regular basis, like it always makes me smile. I admit to people, I'm a terrible friend. I'm a friend that even though I think about people in my head, I don't exude it in like physical manifestation sometimes. Like there are some times where I I think about somebody and I see them in distress and I think I need to reach out to them and I don't do it, but it's not that I'm not thinking about them and it's not that I'm not feeling something for them and what they're going through. It's just that I think that I could do better as a friend to reach out. But the three of you people that I've just mentioned, like you actually do go through the effort to reach out and send like a kind message. But that is also in context of like, I'm struggling in lockdown. I don't like it. So I have very limited resources. So I think there is, there is so many people in my life like you that I wish well, I think of them most days in my meditation, I wish them well. But then for me to physically do something is hard these days. Mm. So, so I think we also have to just acknowledge, look, we have only so much in our tanks these days. This is how far it goes and it's I think, okay. I think you and I are pretty similar and like I don't, 
I don't message a lot of people. But you're thinking of them. Yeah, but like normally when I'm with them, I'm with them, yeah. right? Mm. And now you're not with anyone. And so the people who the, you know, what's being selected for is the people who are good at staying in touch with people via that kind of message, that kind of stuff. And the people who are very good in person normally, are, you know, that's that's not being selected for currently. Mm. I think that there is, but I, I think it's also, I hope that we as a community just also acknowledge everyone's just holding on. Mm. Like it was, are you okay? Don't know, we're not okay. We're coping, we're trying. Some days are better than others. So just, you know, if you feel like people are distancing yourself and not, just acknowledge everyone's struggling at the moment. It doesn't have to be that personal. Yeah, it's, agreed. It's not, it's, we do the best we can right now at the moment. All right. I'm going to wrap it up. Mm-hmm. How can people Lots get it? What do you got going on? How can people give us your website? How, what can yeah, people, so, what can people buy from you? Are you doing sessions? What's going on? Plug your shit. Hi, I'm Bertie Oshidi. Love gardening. Recipient love of the President's Award from the ICP. Yep. Thank you so Internationally much. Internationally recognised. Thank you, Melanie Benmer. Thank you. I do one-on-ones. I'm getting full. So basically, yeah, you can check my website out, birdieoshitty.com. Birdieoshitty.com. Yes, birdieoshitty.com. And there's the information on there, and that's about it at the moment. That would probably be linked in the description, surely. Did you both say birdieoshitty.com? <laughs> birdieoshitty.com. <laughs> birdieoshitty.com. And please, at birdieoshitty on Instagram and Facebook. Bertieoshitty.com. There is one, ex- <laughs> there is one ex- interesting thing. I'm, I'm currently um, looking for Pachamama Glow Up ambassadors. Pachamama Glow Up is a currency for kindness exchange. So mm, I like it. Yeah, it's on my website. Information about that at Bertieoshitty.com. Yeah, thank you so much. All right. And, yeah, lots of love to everyone. Stay well. That's it for another episode of the Canine Paradigm. As always, if you like what you hear, please like, rate, share, subscribe. Do that through whatever subscription service you download us from. If you want to support the show, best way to do that is to tell a friend. Because you're probably already in the Patreon. You want to get them in there. <laughs> so Patreon's a great way to support the show financially. A few bucks a month gets you access to a giant back catalogue of information and more information going forward. And thanks to Joe Hodge for paying it forward. Because when people were in a bit of financial distress and had apologised and sent in messages that they were going to unfortunately drop off for the period of time, which mm. we always go un- for it, yeah, un- totally understand. Joe Hodge said, I don't want those people to miss out on your Patreon. I'm going to pay for three people. Oh, no shit. Yep. Wow, I was unaware cool. of that. Yeah, really cool. Yeah, Thank you, cool. Joe. That was a really lovely offer for you to do that to people. Yeah, that's amazing. And he wanted to encourage people who were in a good position to do the same for other people. Not expected from us. See, this is what I mean about the pay for. So let me explain what I was talking about before. Yeah. When people like, I'll pay for the coffee of the guy in the line behind me. He has money. He's already lined up to buy the fucking coffee. Yeah. You buy two. And you go give one to someone else who can't afford to buy one. That's paying it forward, right? Not paying for something that someone, that's just making yourself feel good for no fucking reason. Mm. Joe's done the right thing, done an amazing thing. Thank you so much. That's cool. Yeah. He actually gave to somebody who wasn't in a position to be able to do it. And yeah, that was a lovely, what what would you call that? Lovely gesture. Gesture. Yeah. Yeah, It was a wonderful gesture. He would be an amazing candidate for the Pachamama Glow Up. The uh, other way you could support the show is dress the homeless, dress the undressed, buy t-shirts from Teespring, <laughs> uh, <laughs> dress the undressed in our merch. Go to your local strip club, tell those people, put this stuff on. Dress yeah, the keep undressed. Keep warm. Winter's coming. <laughs> no, never put clothes on people that are nude. Leave them nude. If you want to get in contact with us, the best way to do that is to jump into the Facebook group. You can group source information in there. There's plenty of info in there. Lots of lovely people you can connect with. 
But if you want to get in contact with me and Glenn, you could do that individually or you could shoot us an email. We are info at the canineparadigm.com. Birdieoshitty.com is the website. Birdieoshitty.com. Goodbye.